Well, just as we uh, resumed a series this morning in Matthew's Gospel, so this evening we're going to resume our series in Romans um, at chapter 15, and we're almost at the end, so I guess in January we'll wrap everything up. But um, I want us to, to read from Romans 15, verse 22. And before we do that, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, your word again and all that it teaches us. As we come to this uh, very practical passage, uh, Lord, help us to examine our own hearts before your word. Uh, under the influence of your Holy Spirit, may you teach us and lead us um, to better service. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So I said from verse 22, actually, let me go back a bit um, to verse 18, just so it leads into this passage a bit better. Uh, Verse 18 then, uh, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by words and deeds, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who never have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in those regions... And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them, For if the Gentiles have come come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, And by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers, to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I was thinking about this this afternoon and uh, thinking what an appropriate uh, passage perhaps to, uh, to start the year off with because uh, you know, it raises the question, what, what's important, what are the priorities of the church of Jesus Christ? Uh, we see this in Paul's uh, approach and all the things that he uh, explains to us in this passage. And it's, it's worth asking the question, isn't it, what, what is it that makes a great church? Um, I wonder what you'd say, what is it that makes a great church? 
what is really important to you in the ministry of the church. And perhaps it's often a, it comes to a fore when you're thinking about coming to a new church. Or you think, you're thinking, what, what, what am I looking for in a church? Uh, what, what are the important issues that I need to be aware of? And uh, you know, some people ask good questions about that. Some, some people ask bad questions about that. Um, I've had many people come over the years to, the, to this church and they ask me all kinds of weird questions about how we do this and do that and why don't you do this and why don't you do that. Uh, I'm thinking to myself, none of that's relevant. <laughs> Um, it seemed to me at least but uh, people have questions about what makes a good church and now Paul doesn't actually set out to answer that question here um, and actually what he's doing is he's, he's laying out his plans for the future um, and the next steps in his, his ministry to, uh, as an apostle to the Gentiles but as he does that we get to see what Paul's priorities are in ministry. And I think this passage shows four of them. So it may not be an exhaustive list, and hence I've, I've put the title as Aspects of, um, of, of a Complete Ministry. But he, there are four things, I think, that uh, come out of this passage. One is, the first is having a big vision for the gospel. A big vision for the gospel. Secondly, not forgetting the poor in your midst. Thirdly, make sure Christ is ministered to people. Christ is the centre. And fourthly, striving together in prayer. Striving together. Agonising together in prayer for the ministry. And of course all of that is founded upon the greatness of the salvation that has been revealed to us. And as we've worked through uh, the book of Romans, um, we've been presented with the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That great uh, self-giving saviour. And so great is is all of this that it thrills our hearts, I hope, to to think about it. As we've gone through over the last year or so, uh, going through Romans... Um, it, it should issue for us in praise and worship. That's what Paul does, actually, at the end of chapter 11, after he's gone through all the, the blessings and the benefits of the salvation that we have in Christ. Uh, then he breaks out into a kind of doxological uh, section, praising God for all his uh, manifold wisdom uh, and mercy and all the depths of it and so on. So, four things that... Uh, Paul seems to prioritize here based on that gospel. Number one, Paul had a big vision for the gospel. And and this is verses 22 to 24. And we've already seen in our previous studies a long time ago now, but uh, Paul was eager to visit Rome back in chapter 1. He says he was eager to go to to Rome. He's eager to preach the gospel to them and uh, to share spiritual uh, fruits with them. And He's also mentioned, without explanation so far, why he's been, that he's been pre- prevented from actually getting to them. But now in verses 22 to 24, he gives those reasons. And it's based uh, on the fact that, as he has already explained, he's eager to preach the gospel where he has never been before. 
Um, and you know, Paul's method of evangelism is very simple. Choose a place that needs the gospel. Point number two, go there and preach it. <laughs> it couldn't get simpler, really. Where does the, where's the gospel needed? Go there and preach there. And that's what we should be doing with our church planting, I guess. But uh, we can think of plenty of places in Birmingham where there need to be churches. Uh, but that's what Paul does. And, and he would only leave a place in certain circumstances. He would leave a place if he was driven out. <laughs> you know, uh, look through the book of Acts and you find that he was driven out of Lystra, uh, Philippi, Thessalonica. Um, in fear, of his, in fear of his life, perhaps. Or he would be able to stay in a place long enough to the point where he felt he had done his work and then he would move on. His calling was to be an apostle. So he, he always wants to go somewhere else. Uh, and examples of that are Corinth. Um, in Acts 18, verse 11, he stayed there for a year and six months, preaching and teaching, establishing the church, establishing the believers. Or in Ephesus, in Acts 19 where he hired a lecture hall, uh, and for two years he he preached and taught, 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 (laughs) uh, week by week in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, a secular setting, and uh, he just used what was available to him, and and such was his ministry. Um, Paul was not interested in a a road tour of one-week missions in certain places, He went to a place, and as long as he could, he stayed there to establish churches. And what we're talking about is the long and laborious task of church planting, doing exactly what Jesus commissioned us to do, to make disciples and baptize them and teach them. That's what Paul did, and all the apostles did. And only when he had finished that such that the church was established, then he could voluntarily move on, unless he was forced out, of course. And it's likely that... Uh, so Paul wrote this letter, letter to the Romans, probably in, during his third missionary journey, while he was, which took in Corinth and Ephesus. So at least three and a half years, that third missionary journey. And, um, And it's not surprising, therefore, that Paul says in verse 23, I have longed for many years to come to you. So he's heard about Rome, but he's never actually been there. But he's longed for years to to come to Rome and to to go there. Now this shows us, uh, I think, a constant source of of tension in Paul's ministry. Um, And it's a healthy tension, I think. Uh, on the one hand, he wants to make sure that his work is done in a local setting, which he finds himself in. But on the other hand, he's always got in the back of his mind uh, the next steps that he wants to take after that. Where's he going to go next? So he's always thinking beyond the current setting. He's saying, where can we go next? And so there's that tension. How long should I stay for? Is the church established? Can I move on yet to the next place? And at the moment, you know, he's been... He's been hindered by this need to lay foundations in Corinth and Ephesus uh, and some other places. But he has this urge to go to Spain. So uh, he's been mostly in the east, you know, around about the region of Turkey, 
you know, where Turkey is, or the eastern Mediterranean, and he wants to go to the western Mediterranean, over to Spain. And uh, that's a, and he wants to go and do some pioneering work. So that's a wonderful tension that a leader um, like Paul uh, should have to be constantly pushing on with the gospel. I, personally, I find that challenging as I think about church leadership. Are we pushing on with the next thing? Pushing on with the gospel? Um, Thinking about how more people can be gathered into the kingdom of God. How more voices can be added to the voices that are praising God and worshipping Him. See, this is what we're doing here is, is the kind of culmination of all of that activity. That we worship God. That's what we're going to be doing in heaven. And if you don't like it here, now, you're not going to like it much in heaven either. So... You know, we should like it, and God will help us to like it, and to enjoy it. You know, it may take time for us to learn to like it, and to really love it. But that's what God is doing. Gathering a people for himself, so we assemble together and we, we praise and worship his name. And notice, this is not just Paul's thing. You know, as, as Paul had a priority and everybody else has different priorities. We've got these priorities, but Paul's got these priorities. He's a bit of an oddball. No, it's not that at all. This is for Everybody. For the whole church. He actually wants the church to be involved. So verse 24. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. And to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I've enjoyed your company for all. So he's looking to the church to help him. So the church is part of this. To share in this advance of the gospel. To play its part. Now... Evangelistic work is not everybody is gifted at it. So not everybody has a great gift with evangelism. Some people are terrible at it. <laughs> you may think that's you, and, and I may think that's me. Uh, and we're not all great evangelists necessarily, but we all have a part to play in the collective mission of the church to proclaim the gospel, to see that it is proclaimed. And so we need to find men who are gifted to do that. And it's not just a task for the apostles. Of course, you know, if, if it were, the church would be very small and wouldn't have lasted. We'd have died out. But that missionary emphasis is passed on from generation to generation. And so, I always think about this, you know, the, the, one day the gospel came to soil. And it started with Paul and the apostles. 2,000 years before, one day it made it here. And Texas and wherever you'd come from, you know, the gospel has made its way there because of that passing down from generation to generation of that gospel um, impulse. And that's why the gospel has been spread so effectively uh, in the early years and since. Paul and his, the apostles, they not only evangelized, but they were able to train other elders and evangelists to take on the work so that they too would train others. And so you have this chain of training and preparing uh, those for this ministry. In this way, the, the whole church is involved in the mission of the church. Um, so it's important that the whole church has a concern for the advance of the gospel, even though you may not necessarily be a great evangelist. 
And that's important for us here in Solihull, isn't it? Uh, we're not simply here to be a, a nice little cosy fellowship that we can just enjoy one another's company in. Uh, a social club for like-minded people. Uh, no, we're concerned to teach the Bible, to talk about it so that people can grow in their knowledge and their understanding. We're concerned and, as well to evangelize the local area. We're concerned to see others trained up as pastors and leaders and elders uh, and so on and, and various other forms of ministry um, in various mission fields. And I hope that you share that concern. It's a challenge for me to keep that as a concern for me. And I hope you share in that concern. But we want to see the gospel grow here in Solihull. We want to see churches planted in other places. There's so many places in Birmingham and Solihull and the West Midlands that need churches. How we need to have that in our, in our minds. So that's the first thing. Uh, first priority, having a big vision for the gospel. Second priority, don't forget the poor. Don't forget the poor. In verses 25 to 27. Uh, and it's perhaps a little bit surprising. Um, don't forget the poor. Um, when you're all kind of taken up with evangelistic zeal, sometimes it's easy to forget the poor. But not Paul. Um, actually, he's got before he gets to Spain to, to plough that new mission field, he is, he's got something else to do first. He needs to go to Jerusalem and take them aid. In verse 25. I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. And he's collected that aid from various churches on his travels and his third missionary journey. He's going to go back and he's going to give that money uh, to the poor in Jerusalem. specifically for the poor. Uh, this is not primarily about supporting the ministry. But it's actually about the poor. It's about the practical needs of the Christians in Jerusalem. And this is all about helping them put food on the table. And church leaders may have been among them, but it's about food on the table. And so this is quite a specific uh, mercy ministry uh, to Jewish Christians. And what's interesting here is the way that Paul describes this aid as a, a contribution, verse 26. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor, among the saints in Jerusalem. Well, what's significant about contribution? Uh, well, the, the word there is a word that we came across this morning uh, when we were looking, having the Lord's Supper. And we talked about participating in the supper together. The word there is koinonia. And so giving financial aid is part of that fellowship of believers working together for the gospel. Um, in fact, that word koinonia is translated in different ways, <clears throat> depending on the context. So Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the koinonia, of the break, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Or sometimes it's translated as partnership. Um, Paul thanks God for the Philippian church because of your partnership in the gospel, your koinonia in the gospel. And what seems clear to me is that Paul's concern to make that journey to Jerusalem to hand over this aid is entirely consistent with his commitment to the gospel, the fellowship of the gospel. To care about the material needs of your brothers and sisters is actually 
uh, fully working out, out the fellowship of believers, of partnership in the gospel. Sharing with what, what you have with others. And we can see how Paul works this out. And he's, in the way that he spells out a, a kind of reciprocal relationship that exists between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Uh, so verse 27 says this, They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles had come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in their material blessings. So you think Jews on one hand are poor and have material needs. The Gentiles have been blessed spiritually through the Jews and the gospel coming out of uh, the Jews. So there's that reciprocal relationship. Jesus summed that up. In his discussion with the woman at the well in in John 4.22, he says, You worship what you do not know, the Sumerian woman. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. So salvation comes from the Jews, but in return, material blessings come back to the Jews and the Jewish church. And God, you see, what God is doing, the way God is working in history, is that he has been preparing the people of Israel, the, the ethnic kinsmen of Paul, if you like, Uh, Israel and Judah, for the day when out of them would come the Messiah. And from the Jews would come this proclamation of a Savior who died and is now risen from the dead. And now this gospel has gone out to the Gentiles. So they have been blessed spiritually. And it's in light of these spiritual blessings which the Christians in Macedonia and Achaia have come to appreciate. And they are only too willing to respond Uh, to call for help to meet the material needs of those poverty-stricken Christians. Now, do you think that that is a reasonable outworking of the gospel in the life of the church today? It actually used to be normal that churches would help with the poor in their midst. Read the biographies of great Christian leaders of the past and you discover that as well as visiting for spiritual needs, they also try to meet practical material needs. So one of my favourites is John Milne of Perth, (laughs) Scotsman. Uh, John Milne of Perth in the mid-1800s, friend of the Bonner brothers and Murray McShane, John Milne never had very much money uh, because whether he was in Perth or whether he was a missionary uh, for several years in India, he was always helping the poor. So he never had much money. Isn't that a challenge? He gives his money away when people need it. Now today we have a welfare system in in our country with easy access to credit if that doesn't give us enough. And for most of us, it doesn't cross our minds to help others materially, perhaps. And those who need help are often too willing to turn to debt as a means of solving problems rather than seeking help from brothers and sisters. Friends, I'm not sure I know how to follow in Paul's footsteps today, but I do know this that the impact of the gospel will have an impact on your wallet 
and what you do with your money. And it will do so in proportion, I guess, to the sense of gratitude that you have for the salvation that you have received from Jesus Christ. So that's the second priority, looking after the poor. Third priority, Paul sought to minister Christ to people, verses 28 and 29. And Paul moves on to talk about uh, his visit to Rome in, in those verses. And here we see that Paul is primarily concerned to minister Christ um, to the, 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 the church. Look, at me, look with me at verse 29. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now we need to ponder that for a second. What is Paul saying there? What does he mean when he says he wants to come in the blessing of Christ? Well, we've already noted, if you were here when we were looking at chapter 1 some months ago, that the thing that Paul was concerned to do was to preach the gospel to them. And so clearly, coming in the blessing of Christ is closely connected with his ministry of the gospel, preaching the gospel. That's a great thing, isn't it? What a blessing to have somebody like Paul come to your church and preach the gospel. What a great thing. What a great thing to have a great preacher come to your your church and preach the gospel. Isn't it great to have somebody like Paul in our midst? That we can be blessed by Paul? And we can go tell all our Christian friends we had Paul in our church. (laughs) And we were blessed by him. Is that what Paul is talking about here? That our blessing comes from Paul? That Paul would be a blessing? That's not what he says, is it? He says he comes with the blessing of Christ. He comes with the blessing of Christ. And what I believe Paul is saying here is that when he comes to Rome to preach the gospel to them, it's actually Christ who is present to bless the Romans. This is the amazing thing about preaching. Christ inhabits the preaching of the word. And so people respond to the Christian ministry not because of a great preacher. They come because they have heard Christ speaking to them. And so they leave and they say things like, I met with Jesus today. I really met with Jesus today in that worship service. And the bringer of the message, the speaker, recedes into the background. Because Christ is present. And Christ has blessed the people. You know, I, as a minister, I find that you know, there are some very kind people who, who will say nice things to me about my preaching. And sure, I think there are probably many who don't say what they really think about my preaching, because they're kind. <laughs> but, but you know what people like me really want to hear? For people to say, no, Stephen, your message was great today, but I met with Jesus Christ today. I met with Jesus today. I hear, there's that hymn, isn't there? I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. That's what we want in the preaching of the word. 
that Jesus speaks to people. And the preacher recedes into the background. So he comes to, to preach Christ to people. And then finally, fourth priority of the church. He strove in prayer with the church. Verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Paul wasn't afraid to ask for prayer for his work. In some ways, he was in the front line preaching the gospel, taking the abuse of crowds, uh, being arrested, being maltreated by his enemies. Um, But Paul understood that the real work was the work of prayer. Uh, And it's prayer that brings down the blessings from heaven. Um, What Paul did in his ministry was simply to gather up the pieces that had been brought from heaven through the prayers of the saints. I think it was Robert Murray McShane that said, you know, I I just go and gather up the pieces of the prayers of the saints when I go and preach. I'm gathering up the pieces. It's like manna from heaven, you see. The prayers of the saints lead to God pouring out his manna from heaven. And he gets to gather up the pieces, you know, as people become Christians. So a couple of things about this this praying uh, that Paul mentions here. And the first is that this prayer is by, the, is by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. You see that there in, in verse... Uh, uh, where is it? I've lost it. <laughs> verse 30. Um, and the Lord Jesus Christ... So what, what are the functions of the Spirit and the, and the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus gives us access into the presence of our Father. No one comes to the Father except through me, says Jesus. So he's the mediator, the gateway, the door, the way we get in to the presence, the the Holy of Holies. And the Holy Spirit brings new life to people such that they have a natural impulse to cry out to the Father, Abba Father, Romans chapter 8 verse 15. We cry out Abba Father by the Spirit. So Christ is the the doorway and the Spirit takes us through it, if you like. And Paul is inviting his readers to remember the amazing work that has been done for their salvation through Jesus in history and his death and his resurrection now ascended into heaven and interceding for the saints at the right hand of the Father. And presently by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven to apply the work. So it's all done by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. The second thing about about Paul about this prayer is that Paul's prayer is quite specific. Verse 31, um, that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. And this is specifically directed to his journey to Jerusalem. He's wanting the the Romans to pray for his journey to Jerusalem. They've not met him yet. But Paul is saying, pray for me as I go to Jerusalem. And there's two problems that he sees. One is, there are enemies of the gospel. And remember that Paul was a well-known, high-profile Jew who once persecuted the church in Jerusalem. And so he anticipates he's going to get a hard time. And then there's the 
the Christians themselves. Who might find a gift from the Gentiles hard to bear. You know, sometimes people can be a bit proud about receiving gifts. And though they're saved, they might still have their prejudices and their lack of understanding. So Paul is, is praying, asking the, the Romans to pray that this gift will be acceptable to the Romans, to the, the, the Jewish Christians. And so this is a call to, to every Christian to strive together in prayer. And it's, on, it's to be on the basis and response to the gospel work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's specific. Praying specifically. Let me ask you as we close, how's your prayer life today? Specifically, how is your prayer in regard to the progress of the gospel here in Solihull or wherever you're from? Is it specific? Is it focused? Is it resting on the work of Christ and of the Holy Spirit? One of the concerns I've always had, and the eldership I've always had, um, is, is our attitudes to when we gather together for prayer. Um, it seems that not so many of us are concerned to put the to make the efforts to turn up to pray together. Um, to come and pray for the work of the gospel here in Solihull. Um, but it, and the thing that troubles me most about that is I, I do have this idea that uh, the vitality of a church can be measured by the commitments of the people to pray together. Now it's not an absolute, but you know it's an indicator, isn't it? If people don't meet together to pray, what does it say about the vitality of the church? I remember for years in this church, there were only three of us, my wife, me, and an older lady who's gone to be with the Lord since, and we were faithful in meeting to pray together. And we'd have a proper Bible study, and um, I guess that's difficult when there's only two other people in the room. Uh, But we we would do it. I went week by week. And that dear old lady, and some of you remember Mrs. Tipple, uh, she was so encouraging all the time, constantly encouraging. Keep going, Stephen, keep going, keep going. Now, thankfully, we're struggling to fit people. We couldn't pe- fit pe- people into our house. But we've got somebody else's house, and it's a bit bigger. We've got more space, and we're thankful for that. But it could be more, couldn't it? It could be more of us meeting together to pray, gathering together. Friends, we need, we need more people praying together, striving together, agonizing together in prayer. We need people to keep going, to keep asking, to keep praying those specific prayers, keep resting on the saving work of Jesus Christ. How about it? Let's get together and pray. So, four priorities. A big vision for the gospel. Care for the poor in our midst. Ministering Christ to people. Serving and striving in prayer together. May these be our our priorities as well as we go ahead into this year. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the encouraging words that you give us through Paul. 
Thank you for his example of his priorities helps us to think of our priorities. We pray that if you have, as you have challenged us about aspects of this passage today, you'd help us to be practical in seeking to rectify what needs to be rectified. That we may serve you more, uh, better and more closely. In Jesus' name. Amen.